Good morning, and welcome to the Revelation Power Podcast. I'm author and host Kevin Hopkins, and today we are finishing up the last chapter of the book of Revelation, chapter 22, and we're going to start in verse 14 today, if I can get my cat to just sit quietly on my lap while we talk. Revelation 22:14 says, "Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have access to the tree of life and may enter the city by its gates. Outside are the dogs, the magicians, the fornicators, murderers and idolaters, and everyone who loves lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give this word to you for the benefit of the churches. I am David's descendant, the bright morning star." The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires to receive the free gift of the water of life. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. If anyone adds to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away any words from this book of prophecy, God will take away that person's inheritance in the tree of life and in the holy city, which is described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Truly, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Amen. And there's a postscript that says, The Revelation by John. So, there's a blessing to start this section. It sets it apart from the previous section because this blessing is pronounced, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have access to the tree of life and may enter the city by its gates. Those with the clean, washed White robes are the ones shown in heaven. Dirty robes don't get in. What do robes get washed in? Well, that's one of those kind of quizzical, biblical statements, right? Washed in the blood of the lamb. That would stain your robe red forever, and and it would never be white if it were real blood and if it were a real robe. But he's not talking about real robes, is he? He's talking about the symbolic clothing of those who have made their lives pure by knowing Jesus Christ and by doing his works on this earth. Remember earlier in the book of Revelation, he said they have washed their robes white by their deeds. So those who have white robes get to enter the city. And how do they enter? By its gates by its gates. They get to live in the new covenant by entering through the old covenant. They are God's people and they will be his people and he will be their God. That was the old covenant. And you see, Christ didn't come to negate that covenant. He came to make it absolutely possible that people could be God's people and he could be their God. That people sinful, dirty, grubby people could be washed of their sin and be found acceptable, not just acceptable, 
but preferable by God and could live in his presence. They can enter the city by its gates through the old covenant with the 12 tribes of Israel, founded on the apostles of Christ. Outside, and it's really interesting, the first term he chooses here, outside are the dogs. I, you know, I have friends who don't allow their dogs in their house. In, in cultures, in Jesus' time, it was pretty much that dogs got left outside. They weren't allowed to come in and dirty up the house. And any of those of you like us who have dogs that live in the house understand they bring in a lot of dirt and their hair and the ticks and the fleas and whatever else they've gotten into. If they've found it, even if it's a skunk, they come in with it. They bring it to you. So it's an interesting term that the first thing he says is outside are the dogs. But it doesn't just mean the four-legged kind. You'll remember that Jesus had an encounter at the table with a Syrophoenician woman. And she asked him to, to perform a miracle in her behalf. And he said, I was sent only to the children of Israel. Would it be fair to give the children's bread to the dogs? And, and that term is a strong racial term that people of Israel would have used against the people up north in the old area of the Samaritans in Syrophoenicia, up by the Mediterranean Sea, where they had let the Assyrians march right through without even standing in their way and, and attack and lay siege to Jerusalem hundreds of years earlier. Because of their treachery, they weren't allowed to even come to Jerusalem to worship the same God that the, that the Jews worshipped. They were made to worship him up in their high places, up in the higher country. And they were called dogs. That's the word they used for them, traitors. But it's stronger than that. It's, it's equivalent to the worst racial term you can think of right now. That's what it was. The dogs. Is it fair, woman, for me to give to the dogs the bread meant for the children of Israel? Now, it sounds really harsh, but he must have said it with some kind of smile on his face because she doesn't get intimidated. Either he is obviously being facetious or she is really tough because she comes right back and says, I'm sorry, sir, but don't the dogs at least get the crumbs from the children's table? And I see Jesus break into this huge smile, slap his hand down on the table and say, this, this is the faith I can't find anywhere in Israel. This racially segregated person, which is interesting because she would have looked exactly like all the rest of them. See, the Jews believed that your race was your faith, that your race was given to you genetically by your mother and passed down from God and that they are a separate race even though they look exactly like all the people around them. Their skin isn't a different color. That's not what defines race to the Jews. They're a different race because of God. And she, though she looks exactly like Jesus, 
is considered by their cultures to be racially inferior, racially different. She's a dog. And and that story appears in the gospel to say, look, the dogs are catching on before God's people, right? Outside the gate are the dogs, the magicians, you know, to us, that's kind of weird, but it means those who practice black magic arts, fornicators, we agree they belong out there, murderers, yep, they belong out there, idolaters, and everyone who lies. Well, we're going to have to define lying a little bit in the a Bible study I attended last night, we spent a long time talking about where's the line. I mean, we, we teach our kids about Santa. It's, it's a lie, kind of. I mean, there was a St. Nicholas. And and one of these days, the kids are going to grow up and they get to be Santa too. Everybody gets to be Santa. But the fat guy in the red suit with flying reindeer, that that's all pretty much a lie. But But is it harmful? Is it deception? Is it a game? Do do joking lies count? Do white lies count? Kid asks us a question that's the answer is going to be far beyond his years. He's four years old and he's asking us about where babies come from. We don't lie to him, but we don't tell him the whole truth either. We give him enough of an answer to satisfy him and we're happy to leave it there because he's probably not ready at four years old for the whole story. Unless, of course, like me, you grew up on a farm and then at four or five, they got to tell you the whole story because you see it going on right before your very eyes. But we lie about all kinds of things. If I lie to protect a person from the truth because the truth would absolutely shatter them, I'm deceiving them. But am I sinning? Do I belong outside the gates for that? I don't know. But this says everyone who loves lying. Everyone who has an affinity for it. I don't have an affinity for it. I, I try to be honest unless the truth would hurt someone. And then I might withhold the truth from them. I try not to tell them a lie. I just may not tell them everything that I know because it would cause them harm. If I believe it would protect someone, if I believe it would keep them from committing an egregious act, I may not give them the whole truth. I don't love that situation. But here, the dogs, those who practice magic arts, fornicators, murderers, idolaters, and liars, they don't get in. And and most of us read that list and, and we're like, whew, I made it. But if not, we've gotten the warning while well, there's still time to change. I, Jesus, suddenly it's Jesus speaking first person. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give this word to you for the benefit of the churches. For the benefit of the churches. This came to be a message to those seven churches that has gone out through history to every other church there's ever been. I am David's descendant, the bright morning star. Wow. The morning star was referred to way back at the beginning of the book of Revelation. And here Jesus is saying, have trouble translating that one? If you've, if you've stumbled, it's me. The spirit and the bride say, come. Now this little section here just, just really captures me. 
Because what was the invitation of Jesus to his disciples? Come, follow me. Come, even to what we call the rich young ruler, the guy who came and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, keep all the commands. He said, I've done all that. Jesus said, okay, good. Then sell everything you have and give it to the poor. He doesn't say give everything to the poor. He says, sell everything you have and give to the poor. Then come, follow me. Jesus calls him just like he did the other 12. There could have been 13 disciples, but the young man couldn't feature selling everything he had. So he turned and walked away. And Jesus looked after him, the Bible says, lovingly. Looked after him with deep sadness because he loved that guy. Now, there's all kinds of, of legend that follows up about who that guy might have been, that he might actually be Matthias, the disciple that was elected to replace Judas. He might even be one of the 12 who ultimately came. We don't know that. But the call was to come. The Spirit and the Bride. The Holy Spirit and the Church. That's who the Bride is, right? The Holy Spirit and the Church. The first group to call. The first people with a mission to send out the invitation for others to come. The Holy Spirit and the Church. Say, come. Let the one who has an ear to hear say, come. Join the call. If you can hear the gospel, then join the call to invite others. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires receive the free gift of the water of life. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. Boy, there's some people with some real plagues coming, right? If people have taken this book and done with it something to to further their own passions, their own purposes, rather than to simply explain what they believe is the meaning of this book, if they've added to it, if they've changed it into helicopters and tanks, if they've if they've manipulated it to scare people. I will add the plagues described in this book to them. And if anyone takes away any words from this book of prophecy, God will take away that person's inheritance in the tree of life and in the holy city, which is described in this book. Don't mess with the scripture. Look to say what it says and mean what it means and and leave it there. Because that's the word of God that's meant to change the hearts of men. He who testifies to these things says, Truly, I am coming soon. That's Jesus. John's response is, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Amen. And then the little postscript that says, The Revelation by John. So that you remember who wrote it, where it came from, and what its purpose was. But the final call, before the warnings and before the amens, the final call is come. 
I don't know that there's a more welcoming word in in any vocabulary. Come here. Come in. Come over. Come with us. Come along. Come. When I go to someone's house and I knock on the door and I just have something to tell them, but they say, hey, come on in. It's welcoming, right? It It's encouraging. It's fortifying. I feel better for the experience. Hey, we're having hot dogs and burgers. Uh, if y'all don't have a plan, why don't you come over? Always feels good. Hey, we're going to be home in a couple weeks. We'll only be a few miles from you. Come on over and see us. There's nothing bad about that statement, right? There's nothing bad about, hey, come on. And, and God knows that. He created us that way. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Let the one who hears join in and say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires receive the free gift of the water of life. Come on. After this episode, I'm going to do an epilogue episode, and then I'm going to launch into something new. Uh, I've decided that we're going to stay with this podcast, the Revelation Power Podcast, because Revelation doesn't just come from the book of Revelation. So I think what we're going to do next is probably the book of Job. It's an interesting study. It's wisdom literature, so it's very, very different, and it's Old Testament. But it's a story that gets mistold an awful lot. So I see some some value in diving into it. Uh, we'll take the same approach. Uh, we will read as far as something captures our hearts, and then we'll we'll focus on that for the day. It may take a while to get through the book of Job. It's, it's at least as lengthy as the book of Revelation. And it has little wisdom gems like Proverbs just peppered all throughout. So we may get hung up quite a bit there, but we'll talk about the whole thing. I'd like you to join us. I invite you to come. Be a part of what we're doing. I hope you enjoyed all this time that we've spent in the book of Revelation. I hope it's been meaningful to you. I've learned new things just spending this time with you. And I'm grateful for that. Uh, This week we've hit about 70 to 75 listeners per day. That's uh, just over 400 uh, different episodes listened to through the week by somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 to 200 people. I'm really grateful for that. I never dreamed that anyone would find that kind of usefulness in what I was doing in this podcast. I I wanted to generate an audio book and that process became so frustrating that I just came to the podcast to fix that issue, but it's turned into much more than that. So uh, the next episode will be the epilogue of Revelation, and then we will launch into the book of Job. Uh, after that, we'll probably come back to the New Testament. We may jump into the book of John. Uh, we may jump into John's epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We may do something totally different. Uh, if you have suggestions, uh, contact me on on Facebook or 
at revelationpowerbook at gmail.com. Let me know what you'd like to cover, what you'd like to hear, how we might change the podcast to make it more valuable to you. I have a lot of folks who've said, why don't you include somebody else in the podcast, interview them, talk to them. There are vehicles by which we could do that. Um, I need to know it's somebody I can trust who has something worthwhile to say or add, or at least someone who's not going to introduce a bunch of weirdness to the process. But I'm, I'm open to, to having guests. So I hope that this has been a good time for you. I hope that in the book of Revelation, the last words you hear uh, after amen and come Lord Jesus are come. You come. Bring as many with you as you can. And while we're coming to the gospel, while we're coming to Jesus, I hope that we will all pray, Lord Jesus, come soon. I think if Jesus is calling us to come and we're calling him to come, the meeting is going to be glorious. Have a great day.